This coming Thursday, we are going to celebrate one of my personally favorite holidays. It's what we call Thanksgiving Day. Now let me ask you a question. What do you think of when you think of and hear about Thanksgiving Day? Well, for some people, Thanksgiving Day is all about the food. Turkey and dressing. Cranberry sauce. Pumpkin pie. Mincemeat pie. Sweet potatoes. Did I mention pecan pie? Did I mention buttermilk pie? All those good things. But for other people, Thanksgiving is all about football. And they'll stay glued to that tube just as one game follows another in rapid succession. And some folks, I've been told, actually even like to watch the parades on Thanksgiving Day. For still others... Thanksgiving represents a long weekend to have time to rest and unwind and relax. And then some people think of Thanksgiving as the day you prepare for the busiest shopping days of the year. After all, you have Black Friday and Cyber Monday. But if you pay attention, you can always get to take advantage of those deals on the Internet now way before Black Friday and Cyber Monday. But it's time after Thanksgiving, you've got to hit those sales and get the Christmas presents bought because it's only 30 days until Christmas will be here. For others, Thanksgiving is a time for family. It's a family reunion. You've got mom and dad and brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and cousins, in-laws and outlaws. And then for some, Thanksgiving represents history. They think of the founding of our country. They think of the pilgrims and the Indians and Plymouth Rock and the official proclamation of the first Thanksgiving made in America by George Washington in 1789. And then it was made a national holiday by President Lincoln in 1863. And then Franklin Roosevelt made it permanently the fourth Thursday in November in 1941. It's about gratitude. And gratitude is expressed in many ways. I read a humorous story the other day about a man named Bill. Bill was out hunting in the woods one day. It had been a slow day. Bill hadn't shot any game, hadn't really seen anything. And as he's walking through the woods, he suddenly hears a noise behind him and he turns. And there about... 20 yards behind Bill is the most ferocious mountain lion Bill has ever seen. So Bill quickly raises his rifle. He aims and he pulls the trigger and the rifle goes click. And he pulls the trigger again and the rifle goes click. And the third time the rifle goes click. And the mountain lion's coming toward him. Bill has nothing he can do. He throws the gun down that's malfunctioned, and he takes off running just as fast as he possibly can. And the faster Bill ran, 
the closer that mountain lion that was chasing him got to him. And Bill comes to the edge of a cliff and there's nowhere to go. And he turns and he sees the mountain lion and Bill drops to his knees and he says, Oh Lord, I just pray this mountain lion is a Christian lion. And Bill opened his eyes and he looked up. And there's the mountain lion with his front paws together saying, Oh Lord, I pray You'll bless this food I'm about to partake to the nourishment of my body. We express thanks in different ways, don't we? To be sure, all of us, all of us have so much to be thankful for. And yet if you sit down and listen to people, there's a lot of complaining and a lot of dissatisfaction in our world today. Even when we're reminded of our blessings, we sometimes still have trouble seeing how blessed we really are. We're richly blessed. As I look around this room, I don't see anybody that appears to have missed too many meals over the last year. But we still find things to grumble about, don't we? We still find things to complain about. It often reminds me of a man that I read about that was bemoaning the fact of how much the cost of living was. He was telling his friend, he said, it's just cost everything I can make to live. My paycheck just isn't enough to take care of things. I just have way, way too much month left at the end of the money. And his friend's trying to cheer him up. His friend's trying his best to encourage him. He said, but just think how much you've got to be thankful for. He said, what? He said, you've got a job. You've got plenty to eat. You've got a roof over your head. You ought to be grateful. Man said, what do I got to be thankful for? I, don't, I can't even pay my bills. His friend said, well, be thankful you're not one of your creditors. In our text this morning, Paul writes to a church in Thessalonica. He's just told them to rejoice evermore. He's told them to pray without ceasing. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, he says, In everything, give thanks. Paul is not saying that Christian people are to be thankful and give thanks for every event in our lives because there are sometimes unfortunate, sad, and devastating events that take place. What Paul is saying is that we should give thanks and we should be thankful regardless of the circumstances we might find ourselves in. Because the Christian can always find something for which they can be thankful to God. Look around you. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to be discouraged. It's easy for us to become discouraged, and it's easy for us to become somewhat negative in our thinking. And that's when we need to look around us and see the situation of others. Because there are others whose condition is worse than our own. It's like that old saying, I worried because I had no shoes. 
till I met a man that had no feet. And it goes without saying, folks. When we look around us, when we really look at this world around us, we will see those whose condition is far better than our own. That's just the way it is. There's going to always be someone who's got more robust health than we do. There's going to always be someone whose job is better. There's going to always be someone whose possessions are greater than ours. There's going to always be someone who works less and makes more money. Someone that always seems to be lucky in everything. And you know what? If we dwell on that kind of stuff, we're going to be miserable most of our lives. Truth be told, we have within us, all of us have within us, the power to decide which group will occupy our attention. If we concentrate on those who are in need, on those whose situation is less desirable than our situation, you know what we're going to be finding ourselves doing? We're going to be counting our blessings. And we're going to be humbly grateful for what we have. But if we start thinking about those that are more richly blessed than we are, chances are we're going to feel envy and jealousy and resentment and dissatisfaction. Since we have it within our power to determine which direction we're going to look, it seems that the wise choice would be for us to think about those that are less fortunate than we are rather than to focus our attention on those who have been more fortunate than we have been. And you know what? That's also Christian. We need to spend our time and our thoughts on those less fortunate than we are, on those who are in need, those with whom we can share our blessings. Paul would write to a church at Galatia in chapter 6 and verse 2, and he would tell them, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. When it comes to contentment, and being content with our lot in life, no scripture to me is more important than Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes there in verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed to be full and hungry, to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things. He writes, through Christ who strengthens me. Oftentimes I think a problem with us. And a problem with us being grateful for our blessings that we have. Is that we are too concerned about self. What happens frequently. When we are too concerned and concentrate too much on self. I'm going to give you the secret. And tell you exactly how you can have 
and guarantee yourself a miserable day. When you first wake up in the morning, the very first thing you need to do is ask yourself, how do I feel? Most of us in this room have reached that point in life that when we wake up in the morning, something hurts. That's just the way it is. But if you want to have a bad day, first thing in the morning when you wake up, how do I feel? And then part the blinds. Is the weather what I want it to be this morning? And then you get dressed and you go out and you say, are other people treating me well? Am I happy? Is everything just like I want it to be? How many of you had a day this week where everything that whole day was just like you wanted it? That's what I thought. But if you want to have a miserable day, you wake up and you concentrate on self. Because if we look for it, we're going to always find that Something is wrong. The weather is too hot or it's too cold. It's too wet or it's too dry. But it's never going to be just right. And someone, somebody, is always going to be saying something or doing something or in some other way impeding our desires. If we have the disposition to look for it, we can always find something that's going to make us unhappy and miserable. Write it down. The alternative attitude to that is to think not of ourselves, but of others. If we concentrate on others, if we concentrate on the needs of others, concentrate on how we might ease their burden, you know what's going to happen? We're going to find ourselves on the positive road that leads to inner happiness. If we concentrate on the work that needs to be done, then we won't have time to think about our own limitations that we have. And if we'll think particularly about our opportunities and about our blessings, we'll find the day goes quickly and happily. Write this down. We are not primarily dependent upon things. When we really take the time to fully understand the way this world works, we're going to find out and we will discover happiness is not primarily dependent upon material things. Now, if you read the ads in the print media, or if you watch television, or if you see those pop-ups on the Internet, they're going to tell you just exactly the opposite. You're never going to be completely happy until you have a pocket hose or the Ronco knife set. You've got to have one or the other of those. And if you really, if you really want to get the most out of life 
and you really want to really enjoy life to the fullest, before the day is over, you need to order your initial supply of balance of nature. And then along the way, get that new Lexus that parks itself too. Our senses are bombarded with an infinite variety of colorful, useful, appealing objects displayed constantly for us to look at. Store displays, catalogs, magazines, television, newspapers, the internet, all provide us with an infinite variety of appeals. We're shown new models. We're dazzled by variety. We're inundated with sales appeals. And underneath all of this is the implication if we have these things, life's going to be complete. And we're going to find true happiness. Nothing could be further from the truth than that. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 15. Take heed. Beware of covetousness. Listen to it. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. A man who possesses an abundance of material things in this life might be happy. But at the same time, he might be miserable. In a similar way, a man or a woman may be happy who has only a minimum of material things. The basic bare necessities, the essentials, are food, shelter, and clothing. I always said my granddaddy Perkins was one of the happiest men I'd ever known. If he had plenty of food to eat, and if he had clothes to cover his nakedness, and the roof didn't leak over his bed when he went to sleep at night, Granddaddy felt he had all he needed. He was a happy man. That was all he really cared about. Beyond these bare necessities, happiness depends not on an abundance of material things, as it does on other aspects of life that are far more meaningful. Things that are of far deeper significance. I want you to listen to what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 6, beginning there in verse 19. Jesus write, said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. Now listen to it. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. After Jesus said that, He told them about the birds of the heaven. He told them about the flowers of the field. And he told those listening to him how God takes care of those without any anxiety or worry on their part. 
And he brought that great sermon on that mount to a conclusion that day. In verse 33, when he said, Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Jesus Christ, He had only the most meager of possessions. Jesus said one time, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests. And He had no place to lay His head. But with Jesus... There was an inner radiance in his life. It was a radiance unknown to the richest and most prosperous men of his day or of any other day and time. The Apostle Paul was also one of those who had an inner peace. A peace of mind that those around him who possessed the riches of the world never really achieved. Happiness actually depends far more on happy and congenial relationships with others than it does on our surroundings or the things that we have. A right relationship with each other. A right relationship with our fellow man. Beloved, that's essential to real happiness. There's got to be love. There's got to be respect. There's got to be service to others. And there's got to be a right relationship with God. And here again, love and respect and service are crucially important to that right relationship with God. There also has to be a right relationship with ourselves. We will never be able to have a right relationship with ourselves until we are able to respect ourselves. And we'll never have an inner peace of mind and satisfaction that's essential to real happiness until we respect ourselves. This is going to be on the final exam. If an individual loves God and serves Him well, if one loves his fellow man and shows it, in a deep and genuine life of service. And if one lives a life that he or she can respect, then they will be happy. In Christianity, happiness is never the end. Happiness is never what we seek. In Christianity, happiness is an unsought byproduct of our service to God. Happiness, real happiness, is never achieved when that's what we're seeking directly. The characters in the Bible who are happy did not go out seeking happiness. The characters that you read about in the Bible that were happy... They go out to serve God and their fellow man. And their happiness comes about as a result of those other efforts. God loves us. God loves me. He loves you too. And God wants you to be happy. God wants me to be happy. That's the reason He created this beautiful world. And that's the reason He placed us in this world. 
with everything that will satisfy our legitimate need. That's also why God gave us rules by which to live and love. And that's why He taught us self-discipline and self-control. That's the reason God sent Jesus into this world to save us. What was the song? I know that my Redeemer lives. I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. You'd almost think we worked together on those this morning, but we didn't. God sent Jesus into this world to redeem my soul and save me and you after humanity had ruined himself with sin. And when we serve God, and when we live God's kind of life, then we're going to find true happiness. The Lord's way. Living the Lord's kind of life is the only way to happiness here, and it's the only way to happiness in eternity. And it's His invitation as we stand. And while we sing.